Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 243 as we begin to approach Karathras and, well, the decision as to whether to go above or below the mountains, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, now, first, before we get going, you may notice uh, I'm still getting used to something here. Today, I had an interesting day today. I, uh, I kept a promise that I made uh, to my children years ago um, when, my when my first child uh, got braces. I told them that if they got braces, because I knew they would both need them, that I would get them because I obviously needed them too and could not get them when I was a kid because we were too poor. Um, so we agreed that if they got braces, I would get braces too. And so I did today. Kept my promise to my children. And um, anyway, so yeah. Oh yeah, I've been bracing myself for this for years. Uh, drastic, absolutely. Uh, so um, anyway, yeah. So that's uh, the little adventure I have begun today. I am uh, attempting <laughs> to practice overcoming the almost inevitable lisp that accompanies it. So anyway, if my voice sounds a little bit different tonight, that is why. But anyway, just wanted to just wanted to share that it's um, um, exhilarating, really. Uh, so anyhow, um, yes, yes. Um, anyhow, uh, hey, as uh, Zyvert, great to uh, great to have you catch up with us. You know, it's funny. I was um, talking with some friends this past weekend out in California, where I was for SoCal Moot, and uh, they were saying that you know, of course, one good thing about the fact that. I, we could only meet every other week during, you know, the last couple months because of everything else going on, was that it made it easier to easier to catch up. There were a couple people who were sort of closing the gap there at the very end. Uh, always good to have folks who are uh, able to join us here for the first time uh, once you've once you've caught up. I know that catching up is a non-trivial undertaking, so I really appreciate that. Um, but. Uh, yeah. Um, oh no 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 no. We're not. Um, we're not getting to the wolves. No 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 no. We're, we're not. We're, we're we're getting there. But we have. Uh, we have. We we have a good. We have uh, a bit before the wolves uh, yet to go. Um, but um, yeah yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say we're years from wolves, uh, but we're certainly certainly a couple uh, a couple weeks from wolves in any case. But. Um, as last week, so this week, we are in our fall fundraising campaign. As I was explaining last week, it is the time of year when we stop and uh, thank everybody who has been so generously contributing in order to help to keep Signum University going. Signum University is a nonprofit institution, a tax-exempt nonprofit institution, uh, which is... Very, very grateful uh, to its wonderful community of support. I know that there are many of you who are engaged in many different ways uh, with Signum, both through our regular weekly broadcasts, of course, and also through other ways. Some of you are in our MA program or have done our MA program, our graduate diploma program. Many of you have taken space courses uh, with us, uh, which has been new over this past year, and that has been uh, just delightful. And of course, many of you uh, will be also 
involved in new ways through our Signum University Press and our Signum University Studios that we are uh, in the midst of building and developing and uh, really being able to bring completely a completely new set of resources to people. Um, and so all of these things, again, have been made possible for many years by the generosity of our supporters. So thank you so much for supporting us. If you go to uh, the uh, support us page uh, there, signumuniversity.org slash support, as Druid's Fire just pasted into the Discord, um, you will... Um, uh, you'll be able to see also uh, a link to our campaign page where you can see we have a whole set of, of donor perks, of, of, of gifts that we like to give to people uh, to thank them for, uh, for donating. Uh, so you can see um, how that works. Uh, and uh, uh, anyway, so I just uh, I commend that to you if you've never made a donation to Signum University. This would be a great year to do it. We had such a wonderful year last year, powered by a very great deal of generosity, and it has enabled us to really be be, be able to begin uh, thinking bigger and moving towards achieving some of our goals um, faster than I ever thought we would be able to. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about all of those things this Saturday after next on the 19th of November. I will be doing our uh, my annual State of the University address, where I'm going to be talking about, um, I'm going to be talking about where we've come and what we've done and where we're going. Um, I'll be sharing some uh, much more detail then uh, about you know the things that, again, the things that have been and the and the places we're going. Really, really exciting stuff. You can learn much more uh, during that day about the Signum University Press and our Signum Studios, and uh, as well as what's been going on in our regular programs and updates on other things. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a very a very great deal uh, a very great deal of stuff uh, to go over. Zach, oh, man, you and me both. Zach says I never fail to marvel about the growth over these years. It's been amazing, Zach, uh, and uh, you know wait till you guys see some of the growth that's been happening uh, kind of behind the scenes there. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been really amazing. So again, many, many thanks to everybody who has been, uh, who have made donations. Many of you have been faithful uh, monthly subscribers to our annual fund for, for years now. And I am enormously, enormously grateful for that. It was funny. Yesterday I got a donation, which was a monthly donation. Somebody started a $2 donation back on, and I remember when it came in, it was during our very, very first webathon ever, which we ran in 2013. And um, so I remember this person who, who made a, a recurring $2 monthly donation uh, on that day back in like near Halloween of 2023. And um, that has been faithfully depositing two dollars a month um in our and so i was just kind of thinking back and i'm like man it's been about 10 years and that um that you know two dollars a month has has you know so i'm like man this person's donated 250 bucks to signum over the course of the last 10 years um it's just such a wonderful example of how um you know faithfulness and generosity builds up it's uh, sort of just just delightful anyway um so again, thanks to everybody who donated. And as I did last week, I want to do a drawing. This week, we're gonna I'm gonna give away something else. So last week, I was giving away uh, tickets to a regional moot. Uh, that is, I was uh, uh, we, you know uh, 
yeah, so our two uh, remote attendance uh, at one of our, our at one of our regional moots over the next year. This week, what I want to give away is I want to give away one of our anytime audit seats. That is all of the courses that we have offered in our master's degree program and graduate diploma program have been recorded. And of course, we have the, you know, so there we have, you know, these archives of entire semester courses worth of lectures uh, from people like Tom Shippey, Verlin Flieger, Michael Drought, uh, Dimitri Femi. Um, um, yeah, I've taught many of them. There, there are uh, uh, a bunch of wonderful courses, uh, uh, you know, uh, some newer ones that have been uh, taught very recently by some of our Signum faculty. Um, really, really neat stuff. So we have a program called Anytime Audits where people can, um, you know, just pay a simple one-time fee and get access to the entire archives uh, and so be able to kind of work their way through the course material on their own pace. Uh, the tuition price for that normally is $95 for an entire course. And um, where I'm going to give away a couple of those tonight in celebration of our fundraising campaign. Um, so I'm going to do a drawing for folks who are with me here on Discord. And uh, I will, um, I don't even know. I could really wish Discord had a way to automate, automate this, but I don't know how. Anyway, all right. So I'm just going to, I'm going to roll my dice and uh, we'll see. We'll see whom I get here. Okay. All right. Let's see. I got to count now. All right. Suspense. Still counting. It was a relatively high number I rolled. <laughs> okay. And the winner of the first drawing is Rowan on the River. Rowan on the River, congratulations. You win the Anytime Audit of your choice. Uh, so what you need to do, just send an email to info at signumu.org and uh, Sharon, our door ward, will set you up uh, with, uh, uh, with your Anytime Audit. We'll do another drawing at the end of our discussion before we head out to our field trip. Uh, but congratulations, Rowan on the River. I love doing draw drawings. I love I love giving things away, and of course I had my I had my dice tower that I got for uh, uh, my birthday last year. All right, very good. So congrats, Rowan. Um, uh, that is uh, that is uh, that is awesome. All right. Well, let's get back to the oh, and just a quick note. I. Our, we had our SoCal moot this past week, which means our fall moot season is officially over. Um, what a wonderful time. Praise, uh, who is one of our regulars here and I, who I know is here this evening, was our fearless organizer. Um, uh, did such a wonderful job. We had a great time. And uh, I was uh, uh, I was just delighted to see many of you who I know are here. Belongsmond. Man, awesome. You know, Belongs Bond, I felt almost guilty. Zach, who is here too, Zach wrote a poem, did a poetry reading, and then we had a fun discussion uh, of the poem. I hope I didn't stress you out, Zach, by, you know, spending like half an hour analyzing your poem after you read it. But it was really fun. And then Belongs Bond, uh, I was gonna 
uh, analyze your song too, but I was like still crying too hard. So like, I couldn't like master myself in time to lead discussion, uh, after listening to your song. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I was just, yeah, standing there listening to Blanc's mom's song, just like tears running down my face. So, um, we will get it, Jackie. We will get it. We are definitely wanting to, um, uh, I, I would love to be able to get uh, uh, Charlie to play that song. So um, anyway, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. So anyhow, um, but yeah, so good to see so many of you. That was a that was a great time. I just love our regional moot program. Looking forward to more regional moots in the spring. Of course, the very first one is going to be in Brisbane. We're going to Ozmoot down in Australia. That's the big one. Very excited for that. And then, of course, we have a bunch of uh, we have a bunch of other moots that are either in the advanced stag stages of planning or like we have Sunshine Moot in Florida is pretty much set. We have a, a several others, which um, I'm very hopeful we'll, we'll, we'll finalize the details for working some final things out. Text Moot, hopefully down in San Antonio. Um, we're looking at um, trying to get something set up in the Pacific Northwest. I've wanted a moot in the Pacific Northwest for years. I think it might actually happen this spring. And then um, also uh, Toronto, Maple Moot in Toronto may actually, may be able to come together too. So um, uh, yeah, yeah. So that is uh, um, maybe Magnolia Moot also down in the Southeast. So there's, there's some, there's some some leads that we're following, where you know some details we're trying to iron out. You know, sometimes things can come together, sometimes not. But um, I will keep you posted as we move into the spring season as well. And of course, before too very long, it will be time to open registration for Myth Moot, the big one, every year at the end of June, where we're going to be returning to our normal fun venue uh, in Washington DC, in the Washington DC area and, uh, getting back together with folks, uh, here at the end of June for myth moot. So anyway, um, that is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the, uh, the various regional moots of the spring. We've had so much fun in the fall with Buckeye moot and New England moot and Mountain moot and uh, Middle moot in Kansas City and SoCal moot this past week. Um, and then in the middle of all of that, the Prancing Pony moot out in Milwaukee, kind of as a, a bonus uh, for, you know, so many in our community as well. So uh, great, great stuff and really, uh, really appreciating that. So, okay. Now, um, let us... Uh, uh, let us get back together. <laughs> Rin is wondering what a moot in Pennsylvania would be named. Um, I was thinking about Philly, actually, as a possible uh, location a little while back. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Um, okay. Um, so we were discussing last time the thing, the shadow that was flying overhead there. Um, and uh, after that, it is apparently comparatively um, uneventful, we are told. Nothing further happened that night. The next morning dawned even brighter than before, but the air was chill again. Already the wind was turning back towards the east. For two more nights they marched on, climbing steadily but ever more slowly as their road wound up into the hills, and the mountains towered up nearer and nearer. On the third morning, Karathras rose before them, a mighty peak, 
tipped with snow like silver, but with sheer naked sides, dull red as if stained with blood. There was a black look in the sky, and the sun was wan. The wind had gone now round to the northeast. Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. Winter deepens behind us, he said quietly to Aragorn. The heights away north are whiter than they were. Snow is lying far down their shoulders. Tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path and waylaid by some evil. But the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. What do you think of your course now, Aragorn? All right. Um, nothing further happened that night, we're told. Um, notice that, first of all, the weather continues excellent, right? Once more we have, while they are moving forward in, in increasing dread, you know, we had, of course, the incident with the genocide of crows and now the strange flyover, unexplained flyover that happened in the night. And continually, right, every day, the next day is brighter than the one before, right? They keep, um, uh, they keep, having this lovely, beautiful, shining weather, um, and yet sort of ominousness and fear. And the contrast between that, I think, is really interesting. Of course, it the air is chill again, and the wind turns back towards the east. It was the east wind that was that really frigid, cutting wind um, that was afflicting them during their first southward march before they stopped in Holland and had their crows experience. Um, they continue marching for two nights, climbing steadily but ever more slowly as their road wound up into the hills, and the mountains towered up nearer and nearer. Um, so they're beginning to wind higher and higher. What's clear here is that they're plainly heading for the Redhorn pass, right? That's not, that does not seem to be really up for debate here, right? So one thing that's clear, I mean, we're about to get into part of the sort of debate between Gandalf and Aragorn about which way they go. And I remember, um, you know, in previous readings, sort of assuming that this decision was happening right now, like that, that they were unclear, about where to go, and they were still kind of uh, like deciding from scratch, as it were, um, which which way to go uh, between the way that Aragorn wants to go, which is the Redhorn Pass, and the way that Gandalf wants to go, which is through Moria, apparently. And uh, but I think that's not true. I think that's clearly not true. They are plainly making straight. For the Redhorn Pass. The decision, the initial decision in any case, has clearly been made already, right? Um, they're climbing up into the hills, the mountains are getting nearer and nearer, and then Karathros is rising right before them, a mighty peak tipped with snow like silver, but with sheer naked sides, dull red, as if stained with blood. Um, not very... Uh, prepossessing, perhaps, but they are headed clearly straight for the pass. So what's going on here with Gandalf and Aragorn is not 
hey, which way do you want to go? It is, are you sure you're not having second thoughts? Right? Are you sure you're not, you're not doubting it? Um, winter deepens behind us. The heights away north are whiter than they were. Snow is lying far down their shoulders. Tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. We may, be we we may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path and waylaid by some evil, but the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any. What do you think of your course now? Um, okay, so we have already had some... And yes, it's um, mid-January now, Bjorning, so there's... It's not like a, you know, a strange and unseasonable snow or something like that. It's been, it's been what about it was fourteen? It was two weeks from Rivendell to when they arrived in Holland, and then it has been now a few more days. Right, this is the third day since they left Holland, um, so it's been like two and a half weeks since Christmas, essentially. So we're somewhere in the uh, yeah second week of January. Um. Gandalf is not saying, hey, which way do you want to go? Gandalf is saying, are you sure you're not having second thoughts? Right? So, I mean, the first thing... Um, and yes, Zeth, I can see what you're saying in YouTube chat. Um, I am watching multiple chats at once, so the one that I am primarily focused on is the one in Discord, um, which is usually plenty to keep up with in any case. Um, but I can see you down there, and I, I try to mind that as well. Uh, okay, anyway. Um, Alright, so... Yes. Anatar's gift seat, I agree that Gandalf seems to have started out with second thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that does seem to be the case. Um, there seems to be just a, just a hint of, I told you so, here. Right? Like, he didn't want to go this way, and Aragorn did, and Gandalf was saying, you know, had said he doesn't think that's a good idea, and now he's coming back again to saying, well, you know, do you agree with me yet? Right? You know, I said I didn't think this was a, a good way to go, and look at this, right? Um, yes, exactly. Just as Chris was saying, uh, this sounds like the somewhat snarky continuation of a conversation that started in Rivendell before they left. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of your course now, Aragorn? So again, I don't think I don't want to go too far in the snark direction, right? I don't think that Gandalf is being a jerk to Aragorn here, right? I don't think that the the point of this here is uh what do you think of your course now, right? Like told you this was a stupid idea all along. Right? That's not the tone I think that we're getting uh from uh from Gandalf there, but but yes, exactly. It's Jackie, as you say, the friendly kind, um, the 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 friendly kind of uh, of of snark here, um, and some legitimate concern. Like there are um, there are, there are many strong reasons why. And so let's notice the things that he is pointing out. Right. Um, Tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. We may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path and waylaid by some evil. Um, he knows they're not going to make it over the Redhorn Gate in one day. 
right? We sh tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Red Horn Gate. Um, he's afraid they're going to be seen by watchers on that narrow pass. If spies are out watching the land, which we know they are of one kind or another, right? Uh, corporeal, avian, you know, incorporeal, whatever. Um, we're going to be spotted. And Bjorning, I agree. It is interesting that Gandalf keeps coming back to staying hidden. Um, secrecy, you know, I was talking last time about how there seemed to be evidence in the description of their path after they leave, the, you know, that little Holland, um, you know, whatever it was, little dell, right, where, um, where they were hiding from the birds, um, that it seemed to be that they were subordinating secrecy to speed at that point. But that doesn't mean that they're completely abandoning secrecy, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, Trifle, I agree. Given the number of, uh, the amount of time that it takes to get through Moria, I too would expect that it would take potentially multiple days to cross the Redhorn Gate. Um, I wonder what he means exactly. The, the, I'm trying to figure out the significance of tonight we shall be on our way high up towards the Redhorn Gate. Um, first of all, what do you think the Redhorn Gate is? I mean, I know it's the pass, right? They call the pass the Redhorn Pass or the Redhorn Gate. But what is the gate? It says, is there a point at which we're like, this is it? You know, this is the when you when you cross over like the shoulder of Karathras or whatever. Um, is there a, a spot which is like like could you take a selfie? You know, at the Redhorn Gate, be like, hey, greetings from the Redhorn Gate. Like, is, is it that kind of a place, or is it just the entire pass is called the Redhorn Gate? Um, yeah, I I I think I presume. Um, yeah, that. He says he talks about the narrow path. Um, we may see, may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path, and waylaid by some evil. So there are two dangers here. The pass is apparently sufficiently narrow, and it's there's this. It's a channel, right? I mean, like there's only there's only one way to go. You can't. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. So if there are spies who are watching to see if they cross over the mountains here, they know exactly where to look, right? We know the passes in the mountains are kind of a big deal. Remember that the spies out of Rivendell went straight to the three passes, right? The high pass, the one that they went over or tried to go over in The Hobbit. Um, then there's that more southern pass, sort of in the middle. Let me go back to the map. Um, the one, uh, the one up here by the, the origins of the Gladden River. And then there's another one down here at the Redhorn Pass above Moria Gate. So there were these three major passes and the spies from Rivendell went out to check each of these and to explore on both sides of all three of those passes. I'm wondering to what extent, um... I'm wondering to what it, to what extent 
they would have done something to try to secure those passes. Um, because, of course, Gandalf is not only worried about being seen, we may well be seen by watchers on that narrow path, but he's also worried about being waylaid by some evil. That is, it's also a great place for an ambush if you can have troops of whatever kind who can remain in the cold of the high mountain pass for any length of time um, if they were to find the pass held against them by some kind of force or again some ambush set up to ambush them in a narrow place that would be um, significantly uh, uh, dangerous right um, I don't know how you would secure a pass without committing manpower or elf power Bjarnasona. That's why I'm wondering about that. Um, there are a couple of things that I think here. First of all, I can't help but remember uh, the elf stone on the bridge of, uh, you know, over the Mithaethel, right? That Glorfindel left. Um, is there... Um, I, now, I'm not saying that the elf stone prevented the Nazgul from crossing it, but his leaving of the... To and I, he calls it a token, right? Um, he seems to mean it as a sign. Aragorn takes it as a sign, but he takes it as a sign that the bridge is definitely safe to cross. Aragorn, remember, is waiting. He's expecting there to be an ambush on the bridge. This is the obvious prime place for the Nazgul to wait. If they've completely lost them in the woods, they know where they're going, right? Vaguely, they know the direction that they're going. And so clearly they're going to have to cross the bridge sooner or later. And indeed, that's exactly what they did, right? They did, in fact, station several of the Nazgul waiting on the bridge to see if they would cross. Those are the ones who withdrew when Glorfindel approached and he pursued them uh, in his vastly understated words. And then he leaves a token on the bridge to indicate not only that he was there, but that he has made it safe by driving away um, those who were occupying it, right? Those who were going to ambush it. Um, but, um, so I don't really, I don't really know. You know, I don't really know uh, what the um, what the plan was exactly. Of course, I also don't know what Glorfindel's been up to, <laughs> right? Um, ever since the Council of Elrond. So who knows? Who knows? Um, but, um, no, I, I'm not saying, Bjorning, that I think that the scouts went and just, you know, parked in the passes and waited there. However, I do think, here's what I wonder. I wonder if there might have been any other uh, false trails laid. That is, I could easily imagine Elrond and Gandalf deciding they're going to send, like, some troops to secure one of the other passes, right, uh, to lead them, to you know, to lead the enemy to think they were going there. Anyway, we don't know. Um, however, uh, uh, the um, it's true, Highlander Winds is pointing out that Glorfindel has probably been baking bannocks. I mean, they're not going to bake themselves after all. Agreed. I know. I know. They won't. They won't. Somebody does have to bake the bannocks, and I do believe that Glorfindel was involved in bannock baking before. So, um, and who knows? Who exactly knows how efficacious against the enemy those bannocks might prove? So, I'm not going to criticize. Um, in any case, the possibility of ambush is a very real one. Again, notice how similar this is 
to that other situation with the bridges. They, if they're coming down this way, why would they go this way? Remember that the enemy does not know they're headed to Mordor. The enemy does not know they're going to try to destroy the ring. Nobody's going to really guess that they're going to do that. So remember, putting ourselves in Sauron's shoes, what, what is he going to be thinking? Should he get any clue that they are in fact, that the ring is in fact heading south? Why would it be heading south? Where is it going? And why is it going there? And wherever it's going, it's going to be crossing the mountains. I mean, there's nothing on this side of the mountains. If you don't cross the mountains ever, you're just you're just nowhere, right? I mean, even if you go all the way down into Gondor, you can pass through and get into southern Gondor if for some reason you want to be in southern Gondor, right? If you want to be down in the Unfalas or, or even Dal Amroth or whatever. But, um, but still, like, where would their destination be? Why would they be heading in that direction? By far, the most likely explanation of the ring going south would be to go to Gondor, would be to go and aid, uh, to join in the war, right? Gondor is the obvious staging ground, the obvious strongest point of resistance near to Mordor, where, you know, the next up-and-coming ambitious ringlord would want to set out, right? Would want to, 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 to you know, the place from which he would consolidate his own power and launch his attack on Sauron. Um, yeah, so that, in other words, again, one way or the other, you could boil it down in a sense, I think, that there are really two options. I mean, if I'm Sauron and I'm reasoning it out, you've got to think that the only two options for the ring, they have the ring in Rivendell. What now? Either they're going to send it west to try to get it to the Havens and take it off to, Val to Valinor, or they're going to come towards Mordor for a confrontation. Those are really the only plausible explanations. Even the third option of we're just going to keep it and hide it and try to hold out. Even that, I think, is something which, as far as we are led to understand, would be counterintuitive to Sauron. Because Sauron, if they claimed the ring, which obviously they're going to do, you don't claim the ring and then just hang out, right? Um, if you have the ring and you've claimed the power, you're going to get power for yourself. I mean, duh, right? So, um, uh, anyway, clearly, west or south, those are really the only two viable options. And if it's coming south, it must go across the mountains sooner or later. So, again, like the last bridge, which was one of the only ways you're going to get from Bree to Rivendell, if you don't know you know, you don't have people's trail. You don't know exactly where they're going. Go to the, cho the choke point where they have to cross over. And there are only so many paths over the Misty Mountains. It is indeed tricky to get over the Misty Mountains. Um, yes. Um, 
Interesting. Nancy says, so would Sauron prefer the ring to be claimed by Saruman or by someone from Rivendell? I think he'd prefer Saruman. Well, perhaps in the sense that he certainly has a better of a, a better a better hang on, uh, you know, where like what Saruman's specs are. You know what I mean? He's more familiar with Saruman, um, for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Right, Wobe says, Sauron does know of one precedent in which the ring was claimed and the claimer just bunked down in a cave for a couple of centuries. Yes, Wobe, but that was... That was a bad data point, right? Everybody knows that's a bad data point. Because, look, um, at that time, the ring was just, like, in the hands of some, like, dumb little halfling creature, right? Um who doesn't even have, like, any kind of a proper sense of, like, you know, power or, like, whatever. Like, we know that's not going to happen again. I mean, what are the odds that the ring is going to end up in the hands of another, like, little funny halfling person again, right? I mean, that's a pretty unlikely scenario because we know it's been taken into Rivendell, right? And then, what's more, he probably knows how everyone who's congregated there. Right. Or at least the, you know, the not that he necessarily has the whole, you know, like uh, a participant list and agenda. But um, but but he knows who's there. Right. He knows Elrond's there. He knows Gandalf's there. He can make a shrewd guess as to who might uh, be coming out on top in this. And let me tell you, it's not going to be some fool halfling. Right. Um, so obviously the people of power and wisdom are going to use the ring, are going to attempt to use the ring against him. I mean, or they're going to, you know, maybe the worst case scenario w would be they're going to try to bring it into the West, right? Because that would be, um, you know, a regular elvish trick, wouldn't it? Like, uh, you know, to flee into the West and go to the Grey Havens. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So again, Wobe, you're right that before when a halfling person got it, he did something unexpected with it. But again, fortunately for antagonists across Middle-earth, um, that, you know, is an unfortunate piece of history, surely unlikely to repeat itself. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, very good. Okay. Um, he definitely knows Galdor is there. Uh, Kovia says, right? Right. Well, exactly. And doubtless, Sauron is quaking in his boots, knowing that Galdor is there, right? Um, that's, that's what I think. I think that Sauron is probably, it's Sauron's greatest fear is that Galdor of the Havens is going to claim the ring, and then uh, the true majesty of the Dark Lord will be revealed. Um, yeah, no question. Um, yeah, Highlander, you're right. Of course, in reality, um, the One Ring has proved to be the Ring of the Halflings, right? I mean, honestly. I guess, in total, Sauron had it for more years than Halflings. But, if you count in terms of uh, number of holders of the Ring of the Rings of Power... Halflings have been all over the One Ring, right? There's like a pestilence of halflings that have uh, that keep like every time, 
right? There's the, the one ring is in circulation, the one ring that will corrupt anybody uh, and, you know, bring them to desire power and um, and all that. And uh, and what do you know? It just keeps passing from one halfling to another. Um, it's almost like some kind of conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> Zach says, A Pestilence of Halflings sounds like the next uh, George R. R. Martin book. Yeah, something like that. Um, yep, yep. Um, no, A Pestilence of Halflings is unlike a genocide of crows, though I suppose uh, um, I suppose there might be some similarities. Um, and yes, Tomas, I absolutely believe um, that it's the hand of Iluvatar that is involved in that particular conspiracy. Gandalf suggests as much to Frodo in you know in in Frodo's own sitting room, right? That um, that he Bilbo was meant to find the ring, and that therefore Frodo was meant to have it. And that might be a comforting thought. And even though Frodo doesn't find it particularly comforting at the time, um, that is clearly what is in Gandalf's mind. Gandalf believes that it is not at all a coincidence that the One Ring has, in fact, passed from halfling to halfling. Even Gollum was, Wobe, as you were implying, um, uh, Gollum was a much safer guardian, a much safer um, wielder of the One Ring than almost anyone else would have been. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's go back to the text. So, what am I building up to here? What are we talking about? We're talking about Gandalf's... I'm talking about the passes. And Gandalf's very serious concern that uh, the pass is at least going to be watched, and if not, is actually going to have an ambush laid in it. Um, but notice how all of these things are framed by his concerns about the weather. Um... It is possible that they will be... First of all, trying to cross a high mountain pass in January is not awesome, right? I mean, this is uh, this really could not have worked out much worse as far as that is concerned, right? It really is a very remarkably bad time to be crossing mountain passes. Um, quite possibly a death sentence, Jackie. Um... And I wonder to what extent he is worried about, um, uh, no, we don't know the altitude of Karathras, uh, Emily. I don't think, do we? Sometimes Tolkien drew, like, contour maps. I don't think he ever drew one of Karathras that I remember. But there are places where he's drawn quite professional-looking contour maps, but I don't remember him actually marking them with numbers, like they were mostly to show relative slopes and things like that. Um, 
High winter winds, yeah, it is above the tree line. Though, that depends where you are, I suppose. Um, like uh, when I was out at Mountain Moot um, and I was talking with uh, the folks out there in Denver about the mountains that we have <clears throat> uh, out, uh, out here in the east. And the highest mountain on the east coast doesn't even reach the tree line. What is the tree line? Uh, out there in the Rockies, um, but but it is there is a tree line. Like it, if you go to the top of Mount Washington, which is the highest mountain on the East Coast, it's here in New Hampshire. That's why I know that. Been up to Mount Washington several times, um, but um, yeah, you do you do get above the tree line. But that is the whole like again the peak is significantly below the tree line um, out in Colorado. So. Um, Anyway, not sure what actually determines it, but uh, um, uh, but yeah, I'm sure it is probably pretty high. Um, right, exactly. Trifle says, we're under a winter storm warning for one to two feet of snow and high winds in the passes. Um, uh, and, uh, and you're in Utah, right, uh, Trifle? Uh, and it's the beginning of November, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Yes, yes. So, um, certainly, the deepening of winter is a very significant threat. The heights are whiter than they were, and snow is lying far down their shoulders. Um, that is, it's not just the peaks that are white, presumably white year-round, right? Um, Again, I say that because I live on the East Coast where they are not. Um, but again, I do. We know that Tolkien's mental model for the Misty Mountains was the Alps. Um, we know that from his Hobbit, you know, from the writing of the Hobbit, and from his memoirs of his Alp, of his, you know, his trip to Switzerland when he was young. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that Karathras is a mountain of alpine height. So yes, winter, not a great time to be traveling through. Notice then the significance. Aragorn. Aragorn has argued against Gandalf's insistence. Aragorn has argued that they should try the mountain pass in January. Um, this is not somebody who has no idea what he's talking about, right? This is not, you know, this is not somebody, you know, from, you know, of limited experience who is saying, how bad can it be, right? Let's just, let's just give it a try. I'm sure it'll work out. Aragorn's got to know how dangerous it's going to be to try to cross the pass. Um, and Nancy, yeah, Aragorn has been to Moria. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, He thinks trying to cross the pass is the best course, right? And I feel, we're cutting it off here with 
um, Gandalf. Let's peek ahead. We're not done with this slide, but let's just peek ahead um, to Aragorn's response. I think no good of our course from beginning to end as you know well, Gandalf, and perils known and unknown will grow as we go, but we must uh, will grow as we go on, but we must go on, and it is no good our delaying the passage of the mountains. Further south there are no passes till one comes to the Gap of Rohan. I do not trust that way since your news of Saruman. Who knows which side now the marshals of the horse lords serve? And then Gandalf reminds him of that other option, right? Um, and Gandalf, or sorry, Aragorn doesn't even want to talk about it again. Um, so... Aragorn is not saying, he's not suggesting this in simplicity, right? He's not just saying, oh yeah, it'll be fine. His own words are, I think no good of our course from beginning to end, as you know well. We can't delay. And there are no other good options. There are no other good options. If we don't cross over here, the only option is to continue going south to the Gap of Rohan and bring the ring right next to Saruman. And of course, he's concerned that if Saruman has fallen, all of Rohan might have fallen by now. Um, yeah, Jackie, he is basically saying that um, Moria isn't an option. Right. Um, yeah. He doesn't even want to talk about it. He doesn't even want to talk about it. Um, his argument basically boils down to perils unknown and no known and unknown will grow as we go on, but we must go on. Well, that's it. Like, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. We've got to go somewhere. All of our options are bad options. So... Why turn away from this? We've got to at least try. It may well kill us, but so will, so could pretty much everything, right? There's a kind of, um, um, there's a kind of sort of grim logic, right, to Aragorn's argument here. Um, certainly the lesser of two evils, praise. Um, again, it seems clear in Aragorn's mind, he's not even, this is not an even choice. Like, it's not like Moria Karathras, Moria Karathras, you know, like those, there's a really tight balance between those two. And I guess, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Karathras, right? That's not how it is for Aragorn, right? Aragorn's like, let's not even talk about that. When he says there are no other options, He's talking about other passes in the mountains. He does not consider Moria a viable option. He seems to consider the Pass of Rohan a more viable option. Uh, he seems like, that is, he seems to consider that, that the fact that he actually makes counter-arguments against uh, going to the Gap of Rohan suggests that he considers that a viable option. When it comes to Moria, he's just like, let's not speak of it again. Say nothing to the others until it is plain that there is no other way. Right? That is like absolutely in case of emergency break glass option. It is not just 
on the table. Um, exactly, Rowan. He's, don't even go there, Gandalf. Is a, is a good summary of his of his uh, uh, his attitude there. Um, yeah, it's like the nuclear option. Bjorn Asunder. Yeah, he it's he he does, and Gandalf seems to accept that. Gandalf is, and I think that's why we're seeing Gandalf pushing again here, right? What Gandalf is saying is not like, so, mister, I think the mountain passes are going to be awesome. Do you still think they're going to be awesome? Right? I don't think that that's the point of Gandalf's argument. What he's saying is, so, we can only consider Moria once all other options are closed. So he, we're looking at Carothras now, and he's saying, do we still consider this a live option? Right? Is this, um, you know, are you uh, are you wanting to continue forward and keep trying this, or shall we fall back to the emergency option right now? Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Drasnik says, "Who knows about the Balrog? Nobody knows about the Balrog. Um. Nobody knows about the Balrog." Some people have some idea that there is something bad there. And the dwarves, it is known that something bad, uh, you know, they know about Durin's bane. Um, that is, but that's just, that's not even, a, that doesn't reveal much, right? Something came out of the darkness and killed Durin and drove the dwarves out of Moria. But what? Um, well, Mad Violinist, I think he... Kelborn knows that something is there. But I don't think they knew that it was a Balrog. Um, that seems to be news for folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... So yes, nobody knows. I don't think anybody knows that there's a Balrog down there. Um, this, no, whatever. Um, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. Exactly. Gandalf is clearly surprised, and uh, even now here we are jumping ahead. But even when Legolas identifies it um, to Galadriel and Celeborn, I mean. Uh, he does so with the air of providing information, right? Not confirming a theory. Um, they bring news with them. Like, not just the Gandalf is dead news, but they're like, holy cow, Durin's Bane was a bloody Balrog of Morgoth, for crying out loud, if you can believe that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I was going to make a comment about Saruman's big book of Balrogs, but uh, from the movie, but yeah. I have to admit, I don't really understand why they did that, but whatever. Um, okay. Um, Yes, exactly. 
um, uh, Emonmoto, that's exactly what I was recalling, the line that when Kelborn says, we have long feared that under Karathras a terror slept. Yes, something big, dark, and scary, but we don't know what it is. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, they wanted somebody to speak the Shadow and Flame line, but there's plenty of time to say it, like, did we have to give it away? I don't know. I don't know. It's not horrible. Like, I'm just... I always found it a little odd, but whatever. Um, uh, anyhow, certainly not in the upper echelon of most curious choices made in that particular adaptation. Um, but, uh, okay. Um, so, yes, I believe that he is quietly suggesting to Aragorn, maybe before we go up and all freeze to death in the in the high pass in January, we should just consider this a non-starter right now. But because um, there again, there are the three arguments that he's making. We could be walking into an ambush. We are even likelier to be exposing ourselves to the vision of spies. But we are most likely of all to all die of hypothermia, right? Because the weather may prove a more deadly enemy than any, whether it's just the cold or whether it's the snow that could trap them in. Now, keep in mind, they, the spies of Rivendell, some of the spies of Rivendell crossed this not too long ago. I mean, like in... Late November, early December. They crossed this, went to Lothlorien, and came back. So, elf spies from Rivendell do cross this pass in the wintertime. It's not impossible. It is not unknown. Um, this would be one reason why Aragorn is not... Um, does not consider it impossible, right? Does not simply say, all right, yeah, pass, January, not an option, right? Um, and uh, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, the elves are like, hypothermia? Never heard of it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can cross the Helcaraxa, you're probably fine uh, in the high pass. Um, it is possible, Zarbi, that Aragorn has done it before himself. Can't rule it out. I mean, again, this is not some ignorant noob, right, who's making this decision. Aragorn will have crossed this pass many times, presumably in multiple seasons. So I do have to believe that if Aragorn still thinks that there is a chance, you know, worth enough risking it to try going over that presumably there really is. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, it certainly, uh, Budgie would be time for the hobbits to get out their boots for sure. For sure. Hobbits wear boots when they cross mountains. That's very clear. Anyhow. All right. Let's, um, Hang on. No. Though I was doing the last paragraph, I didn't do some other stuff. Um, 
first of all. Let's look at the middle paragraph. We missed Gandalf's snuffing. On the third morning, Carothros rose before them, a mighty peak, tipped with snow like silver, but, sheer, but with sheer naked sides, dull red as if stained with blood. There was a black look in the sky, and the sun was wan. The wind had gone now round to the northeast. Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. Okay. So, I'm not sure what that first sentence of the second paragraph means. There was a black look in the sky, and the sun was wan. I know what the sun was wan means. Um, I can remember many wan-looking winter suns. It's not cloudy. The sun is out. It looks wan, but it's out, right? So wan just means that it's, you know, it seems like faint. It's not giving much heat, right? Um... But what exactly does it mean that there's a black look in the sky, exactly? Um, oh, praise, great question. Is the sun capital here? No, it's not. Look at that. Lowercase sun. Huh. I'll be darned. Good catch, praise. No idea. You know, you know what I wonder, Praise? Hang on a second. Let me go down. Here's our sun. At dusk, the company set out, turning now half-east. They steered their course towards Carothros, which far away still glowed faintly red in the last light of the vanished sun. I have theory. The sun with a capital S there glowed faintly red in the last light of the vanished sun. Capital S. Um, the light of the sun. It is clearly referring to the like the star, right? The celestial body itself. Whereas the lowercase sun here there was a black look in the sky and the sun was wan. Sounds to me like that's not necessarily a reference to the heavenly body itself, but to the light of the sun. Like the sunlight was wan. You see what I mean? If by the sun you're referring to the sunlight. Like, for instance, if you would say... I'm going to go lie out in the sun. You'd use lowercase. If you said, the sun's in my eyes, you would use lowercase sun. Um, if you said, I'm going to, you know, put on this suntan lotion to keep the sun from burning me, you'd use lowercase. But, if you said... The sun is going down behind the horizon, you'd use capital. Right, if you said he squinted up at the sun, it would be capital. 
Exactly, Bjorning. Sun, capital S, would refer to golden warm orb. Sun, lowercase, is the natural light present in the world during daytime, which may yet be directional. Yeah, yeah. That's... That's my theory. That's my theory. Looking at this just... I mean, obviously we're only looking at two cases out of, what, 300 praise that you counted last time? So, um, not last time, time before, but still. So, we don't know if that'll hold up. But... But that might work. Let's see. We'll, we'll test that theory as we move forward. So, thank you for noticing that. I had forgotten about that already, praise, so I'm glad you, you noted that. Uh, or you asked the question. You said you're not looking at the screen, um, but um, but you but you thought to ask about the capital letter, and I think that that's I think that that's uh, that's interesting. Highlander, yeah, there could be a really interesting moot paper on this, right? Um, because if this if my current hypothesis is correct, and obviously we have to test this hypothesis against all the other data, right? But if my hypothesis is correct, then it suggests something interesting about their conception of the sun itself, right? Um, and yeah, moon too. The moon too. And my, so my, my theory would be, again, or rather the hypothesis would be that it would work the same way with the moon. Um, so like if you said, um, you know, You don't use moon in the same way you use sun that way. But maybe. Anyway. Okay. Um, so, anyway, that's, yeah. There's the hypothesis. We'll see, we'll see where that goes. And so in that case, the sun was one makes much more sense. Right? That, that just means the sunlight is not, does not have much power to warm you. Right? And again, I think we've all been there. Well... Most of us. I just came from SoCal, so I won't say everyone has heard this, but or everyone has experienced this, but people who do not live in Southern California will have observed those days when it is wintertime and it is very, very cold and bright sun. And you're standing there with a bright sun on your face and it is not warm, <laughs> right? The sun has no power to warm things. Um... Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yes, the sun was one. Black look in the sky. Do you think... I'm still back to the black look in the sky. I don't understand that. We're told that it's morning. Is it... It, it can't be still early enough that the sky is darkish. Like, literally darkish. I mean, that happens, right? When it's gray on the horizon, but the sky above is, you know, not yet really illuminated. It's not blue yet, right? Even if it's a clear day. Um, but if that were so, then there wouldn't be... The sides of the mountain wouldn't be red. Right? It could be a gathering storm on the horizon. If winter deepens behind us, is what Gandalf says in response 
to looking at the black. I mean, if there's if it looks like there's a snowstorm coming. Um, though, um, snow doesn't come from black clouds, though. Um, that's not exactly a thing. Um, but anyway, um, well, I don't know. I mean, not like summer thunderstorms, but, um, but anyway, it has a black look. He's not describing black clouds. We don't have to argue about it. Um, there was a black look in the sky. That could just mean it looks like it might snow. Except there's a... Yeah, so... They're facing the mountains to the east of them. The sun is rising. Gandalf says that the winter is deepening behind them in the west. So there we go. There we go. Um... They're facing east in the mountains. The sun is rising, and it's like clearly enough above the horizon to shed a red light on the sides of Karathras, right? Now you might say, if they're headed straight towards Karathras, which is east of them, why can they see any red at all? Because it's January is why, right? And they're still in a high enough latitude that the sun is not rising due east of them, right? It's, it's going to be to the southeast of them. And so they will see red light on the southern face of Karathras. But behind them, it's behind them that Gandalf says winter is deepening in the west. So if there are storm clouds, right? If there are, if there are clouds that look like snow coming up from behind them in the west... That would explain how both things could be happening. How the sun, wan though it be, would be there and shining red light upon Karathras, and there would also be a black look in the sky, not necessarily in the same place, right? The wind had gone round to the northeast. Um, Gandalf snuffed the air and looked back. Looked back. By the way, I suspect that this is also... Um, Gandalf snuffing the air also has to do with winter deepening behind them, right? Um, people who live in the north know you can smell snow coming. Um, when it's going to snow soon, you can smell it. Um, I love the smell of snow um, on the way. But uh, but yes, I, I'm pretty sure that's why Gandalf is sniffing. Um, for those of you from sunny climes, in case you're curious, that I think that's almost certainly what Gandalf is is doing there. He can smell. So he's the wind is blowing from the northeast. That's probably not good. The there are clouds, snow clouds, from in the west or possibly like in the northwest, and then and it smells like snow. Bad signs. Um, and he's looking around and say, look, it's just been snowing, right? There was recent snow here on the mountains. Um, yeah. Uh, Connor, the wan of the sun doesn't necessarily represent wan hope, but of course it is the same word, right? Um, when hope becomes wan, wan like the light of the sun on a cold winter's day, 
that's that's despair right um yeah yeah I, other blue wizard yeah i agree i've um i've always assumed that the smell of snow in the air has to do with the detecting of increased humidity frozen humidity like you can you can you can tell um but um dan you're right snuffing is a very nice onomatopoetic word um he snuffed the air um yeah yeah um and yes aspen you're right you can get a smell kind of like it um like when you open a frosted freezer but yeah it's often it's not quite the same there's there is something kind of like it you can smell it kind of like it but it's nothing quite like smelling it um nothing quite like smelling it on the air um yeah yeah um so yes i think that there are several in that middle paragraph there i think we are getting several cues that um imminent winter weather seems likely and yet despite that Despite the fact that it's January in the High Pass, despite the fact that I don't doubt that Aragorn can smell the snow too, and certainly can see the clouds. Nevertheless, despite the fact of the threat of oncoming winter weather and the high passes in January, Aragorn still thinks that it is a higher percentage move for them to try crossing over um, the Redhorn Pass than going anywhere else, right? Um, and that I think is significant, right? Um, last thing, and then we'll stop for the night. The description of Karathras. I've read it a couple times. We haven't really talked about it. Karathras, the, the sort of the figure, the character of Karathras is sort of looming over this whole thing, right? Um, we're not told anything about it exactly it's just described and it's been described a few times remember it looked like didn't it look like a fang like a bloodied fang before and that's not great um a mighty peak tipped with snow like silver but with sheer naked sides dull red as if stained with blood it's the um it's the butt that actually i think is most interesting in this description the mightiness of Karathras is the first thing that gets emphasized. Then the beautiful description, tipped with snow like silver. It's gorgeous. It looks precious, right? I mean, like precious metal. Um, if we just had that first line, right, the first independent clause, well, the next one isn't an independent clause. Anyway, if we had the first part of this sentence, um, it would seem like a really positive thing, right? Be like, ah, Karathras, what a great place, right? Mighty peak, tipped with snow like silver. Like a, what, like a noble king watching over, you know, the mountain pass or whatever. Um, but with sheer naked sides. Okay, so you don't want to climb it, right? Dull red as if stained with blood back to the fang thing now, right? So, and of course we know this is not just a, um, not just a fluke, right? Um, it was, it had red on it before. 
it gets red on it all the time. This is why it's called Karathras, right? It's called red horn because it sticks up like a horn or a fang and it looks bright whether it's sunrise and sunset. It is standing alone with sheer naked sides, right? That is to say it's not just like a big old lumpy mountain which um, therefore kind of breaks up the sunlight and everything, right? It's got these smooth sides that the sun can hit flat on um, at both at sunrise and sunset. It's tall enough to get lit from either side, right? And um, and so that prospect, you know, that vision of the sides of the mountain stained, dull red as if stained with blood, is clearly very characteristic and tells us something about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, um, Zeth, I agree. I agree. Um, he says, I like how naked is used here. It breaks that beautiful image of the silvery mountaintop and reminds us that the mountain is treacherous. It will leave you vulnerable, naked in the dark. Yeah, I like that quotation. And it's true. Drawn blades are naked as well. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, any association with human nudity here, right? Um, it is the starkness of this. Uh, the... Um, the the nakedness of the sides of the mountain um, emphasize its height, again, above, well above the tree line, emphasize its prominence, right, its height, emphasize its solitariness, right? It's one of three peaks, but it really stands out, right? It's very, it is very much a focal point. Also, it's inaccessibility, right? And yes, no softening or delicate beauty, April. I think that's a really good thing uh, to notice there. Um, I don't think the stone itself is red. Like, that is, that, that it would have a high iron content. It's not impossible, Budgie, but um, uh, but I think that it's it seems to be... We've gotten this description of the red light shining on the sides of it now multiple times. Uh, so I think that that's really... Um, I think that that's really the primary emphasis here. Um, remember, remember that places often have attitudes. We've just been reminded in Holland that um, the rocks remember the elves fondly, right? Good times, good times back in Aragia in the old days. Um, well, good times for the rocks anyway. Um, but now Karathras might have a quite different attitude. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. Zeth, so glad you could join us. So much fun to have people joining us, uh, for the first time. Um, Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. That, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking that too, Trifle, about how we're told that there's plenty of iron in Moria. It's not impossible that it does have uh, a, a reddish, a reddish, um, you know, look to it from the soil. It's conceivable. However, um, what I'm saying is that in the descriptions we've seen so far, 
every time we've almost every time we've seen Karathras, it's got the light of sunset or sunrise on it, and so that seems to be what we're being prompted uh, to uh, to imagine. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we did like a slide and a half, right? So let's. Um, I think we're going to stop there. Before we go, uh, let's do another drawing. Let's do another drawing here on Discord. Uh, we're going to do another drawing for another Anytime Audit. So here we go. Here we go, another drawing here. Ah, okay. Counting again. Okay, and Jackie, congratulations. Jackie is the winner. Very good. So Jackie, you also get um, an Anytime Audit registration so you can uh, uh, go through the catalog of our Signum University uh, uh, graduate courses and choose one of our courses that you would like to that you would like to try. And uh, uh, so and don't forget, send an email to info at signumu.org uh, to, uh, uh, to, to find more about that. Um, next week, we'll have a new giveaway um, that we haven't done yet. Something very exciting also. Okay. Anyway, awesome. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining us. So we're going to do our field trip now. Uh, so... And we're going to do a drawing in our field trip too, like we did, like we did last week. We're going to do our Lotro drawing as well. Um, oh, oops, I did that thing. I forgot to do that thing because it's going to crash again. I bet you. Yep, there it goes. Okay, hang on. No problem. We'll fix it again. Just because I forgot to do it properly again doesn't mean I can't get it back. Okay. Anyway. Um, so yeah, stick around for our field trip here tonight, and uh, we will do. A Lotro drawing or two. Maybe we'll do two of them here before we go here tonight. Good evening. Good evening, Valori. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Good. So yes, the um, before the shadow expansion, which was scheduled to come out yesterday. Um, has okay. been delayed, right, by a week. Hmm. We just heard news about this relatively recently. It'll come out next week. Next week, that's it. Next that's Tuesday. It. Tuesday. Next Tuesday, so. But that's okay, we can work with that. We can work with that, absolutely. We are flexible. And I have one little other piece of news. There will be new loading screen music. Really? Mm -hmm. Composed by Mr. Bill Champagne, the in-house composer for everything since Mortar. Right. Cool. Cool. Excellent. Andy Praise you made your character. That's great. So yeah, you gotta you gotta find time to level up. Well, you get uh, you got your uh, code for the the uh, Lotro giveaway from last week, right? Oh, that's awesome. All right. Okay. So let's see. Um. I think I didn't get in the... Uh, yep, I got you now. Go. Uh, excellent. 
All right, getting the raid here before we go. All right, so um, so the giveaway was we're gonna do the same giveaway. I, I got a bunch of um, uh, the, so Standing Stone has given me very generously a bunch of codes to give away on these special occasions, um, and the codes are for it's a it's it's for a it's for a ketchup pack. So you you'll be able to get all of the um, expansions up through and including Gundabad. Uh, and you will also get a whole bunch of other things um, like uh, special steeds and um, bonus, like a small car a carry on, a carry all, and like a whole bunch of uh, uh, like uh, slayer and uh, uh, like deed accelerators and all kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah, That's exactly. right. Ketchup packs, packs. Of, packs of ketchup. That's exactly <laughs> what you will get. Packs of ketchup. Okay, so I'm gonna do. Let's do. Let's do a drawing before we go, and then we can do another one at the end. Okay. All right. Okay, I got a lower number. It won't take me as long to count. All and right. Want to do a drum roll? Okay, and Frumius Boojum, Frumius Boojum, you are the winner of our first drawing here tonight. So. Um, again, what I love about this pack that they're giving away here is that it's obviously the greatest benefits are for new players um, who can get all this stuff and so they don't have to purchase the, ex the expansions and everything. Um, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, but this pack also includes a lot of cool stuff for, uh, uh, for current players as well. Awesome. So All from right. Boojum, again, send your send an email to info at signumu.org and we will get you your uh, your your claim code um, that you can put in the Ultra store to redeem. Awesome. Um, okay. Uh, let us so here's what we're gonna do. So we were hoping to begin exploring um, uh, the the before the shadow new areas here tonight but since it was delayed what we shall do is um we shall prepare ourselves for this so what we're what we're going to do is we're going to go let's go let's because we're, we're gonna we're gonna not go anywhere fast we're gonna we're, we're gonna walk so what is mosey what is mosey yes we're gonna head to the west gate of brie so let's just head out the west gate of brie yeah so just a just to comment on uh, today's lecture, I'm noticing that we are talking about the weather like a lot. Yes. And uh, I'm just I'm just reminded of uh, there was a documentary called Very British Problems, uh, where uh, a one of the comedians uh, interviewed there says, when two Englishmen are talking at great lengths about the weather, they're not talking about the weather. <laughs> That's because they refuse to talk about their emotions. The weather is a substitute for them talking about their emotions. Interesting. And, of course, one of the things that we see here, of course, the, the weather is relevant to their fears and concerns. But I think that there is a sense, right, in which their fears mm -hmm. and concerns are one of the things that they're not talking about here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what we're going to do here this evening is we are going to prepare ourselves. It's been a long time. Like, we couldn't even remember when, in our field trips, we were exploring... What? I just hit the wrong thing, for goodness gracious. I meant, to hit my, I meant to hit my uh, horse, and I hit my... Um, 
Okay. Milestone, which is just up at the Prancing Pony, so I'm coming right back. Okay, oh, okay. sorry. Okay, that's, Apologies. that's not worth case scenario. Okay, I good. should not, like, click on things and talk about something else at the same time, clearly. So, coming right back, coming right back. Um, so, we're going to prepare, cause it's been, as, and the point is it's been forever since we uh, explored around Bree. So, yeah. we're going to go and we're going to go south. Okay, here I am. Back again. Fortunately, I didn't go like across the world. So, yeah. let us head out past uh, this hobbit still standing in the bushes. So here we are at the intersection of the dwarf road and the greenway. This mm -hmm. is the big crossroads next to which Bree was built. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Bree isn't that this isn't that we're not standing in the middle of Bree right now? Like on top of the crossroads. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that kind of make sense? Like that there would be a crossroads and then somebody would be like, I'm going to build a, an inn like right here, right? On the crossroads. So when you get yeah. to the crossroads, it's right here. And then, you know, other people are like, I'm going to, you know, like you could easily see a town growing up around here. Now, like it'd be right up against the stream here. No question. But that's hardly unusual. I mean, in fact, both things are a little bit unusual. There's a I mean, there's a river. If you look at them, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a river. There's there's a river, and often cities grow up right on rivers, right? You know, yeah. and then there's a crossroad, mm -hmm. and again, I might expect the crossroad to be in the middle of town, but the crossroad isn't in the middle of town. The crossroad is just outside of town. True, but keeping in mind how old this town is, we've seen a lot of bits of it that don't exist anymore. Like there's some walls over there. There's a stone bridge over there. We're going to come across some more ruins over there. Chances are that maybe that was the old boundaries of Bree. And then this is, you know, little bits, other bits survived and the other bits didn't. Yes. It's possible that Bree has shrunk. I'm doubtful, though. Well, but there are ruins on the other side, too, because look Tolkien, at this over here. Tolkien likes his grand and glorious pasts and then the waning of the people, too. That's very it's much true. I life. mean, if Bree had once been four times as big as it is now, nobody would be surprised for that reason, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Aristotle has a good point. Maybe this is the bypass of the main road. <laughs> Possibly. You've Possibly. got to have bypasses. Right. Well, you just get so sick of the Bree traffic that you're like, I, I want to go, you know, I want to I want to have a bypass so we can escape the urban, the urban, you know, grind yeah, of Bree. Well, there's too much through traffic. And of course, the, the roads aren't just equipped from these modern horses. Right. Right. Um, yeah. OK, so look at the Arnorian ruins in there. Right. This yeah. is the. Um, you know, the sort of southwest corner of Brie right here? Yeah. Um, where all that uh, all that Arnorian stuff is. Where, like, the, you know, the, the ghost quest and, and stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Right? It sure looks like an old dried up riverbed here. Yeah, it kind of does. Well, I mean, it's a moat, right? I mean, this is, um, this is clearly a, <laughs> a deliberate, well, yeah, but it's clearly a, a deliberate fortification here. Um and an old wall, which is an old stone wall, which is not the Arnorian wall. No. Um, so it's possible 
at this point in Brie, the Arnorian ruins don't form the external wall of the town. Mm-hmm. But if I remember correctly, around the south of Brie, if we keep going around the perimeter, there is a place yeah. where this southern boundary becomes sure is, uh, connected to the Arnorian wall. Uh, there's also some puddles down here, and this sure is shored up a lot. Are we not sure that there isn't, like, seasonal flooding around here? Um, like that, well, I'm not at all sure that there isn't. Okay, yeah, there it is. Okay, I th that's what I was remembering. Yeah. Okay. So let's start from here and go outward a little bit. Here we have... Okay, well... So... This suggests the, the stretch of Arnorian Wall, and I'm not looking at the one on this side of the of the bank, right? I'm looking at the one behind the hedge there. Yeah, yeah. This would seem to me to suggest that the town of Bree, in something like at least, its um you know, modern footprint was once yeah. enclosed by walls when Arthur Dane and Cardolan were running the show here. Mm. Probably yeah. Cardolan. Yeah, much like Londinium back in the day. Yeah. Um, however, coming back to the new one, to the one here on this bank, this was a connecting wall that went somewhere or other. Uh, probably to those bits over there. Right, and we have all these other... Due south. Oh, sorry, I almost, like, ran over that one. Yeah, and there's, here's just, like, flooded flooded marshland over here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I wonder if the water, the, like, the, the water boundaries changed, and that's why the crossroad's in the middle of nowhere, and there's no town near it. The entire Arnorian water table rose. That's why, like, Brandywine River has these bridges you can't under i mean it's been a while and yeah oh right can't go under because you might have been able to go under them before right which is why you can't sail ships all the way up to arid lewin because of the hobbit bridges yeah i've never been able to make up my mind about what these ruins were hmm. oops to climb up on the ruin instead I just fell right off it because um, we have we have quite thick walls I mean these are not cosmetic walls right this is meant for defense look how thick that sucker mm -hmm. is yeah like the fragment of wall over there to the northeast where we just were and the ones on the other side of the so this looked like what, what were we ringing this hill to the south of us? Perhaps there looks to be a fortress of some kind in there. Maybe this is one of the watchtowers for the fortress. Yeah, maybe. I mean, okay, there was some stuff. Where, where, where did it go? Okay, there's another one down there. Why did they build the wall at the bottom of the hill? Tomas, maybe they were aqueducts. Oh, that yeah. 
explain why they seem to be running in the middle of nowhere. And why the water ended up everywhere else. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Aqueducts do make a certain amount of sense. That would also explain why there is a that perpendicular wall sticking out of the side of Bree that we came up against when we came around the south part of the town, right? Mm-hmm. It would make sense if that was an aqueduct. Right, that one over there coming out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 I buy it. Like it. Like it. I agree. That does help me understand. Because I was going to say, it can't just be walls. I mean, you don't build walls at the bottom of the hill to defend the hill. Right? Like, you have to fight your way through this wall to walk uphill. No, you put them at the top of the hill where it's easier to defend. And where you can see everything from it. Yeah, that too. Okay, but here, and I see we are back to the Greenway. So the Greenway is now past that. Oh, and there's that Cartilingian castle in the Barrow Downs. Mm-hmm. Right? The one that's in the southeast corner of the Barrow Downs. Okay, so we know where we are. So that was this castle where the people of Cartilin hold up and had their grim and unpleasant final stand. And now we're heading down to what is a sort of pass, or at least a choke point in the hills here. Mm-hmm. So we, and by we, I assume this is the folk of Cardolan, because this is south of the border of Arthedyne. Yep. Decide to build a defensible wall with multiple layers of defense. South Guard, it is being called here. Mm-hmm. So we've got a wall. Was this a was this a town? Do you think, or just defensive fortifications? It's definitely big enough to be a town. Yeah, there's a lot of space in here. Yeah, this is not just like a concentric wall sort of situation. Like, I mean, on I the one hand, this is don't, on scale oh, with Esteldine. Yeah, it is as big as Esteldane. You're right. I mean, there don't look to be a lot of indoor apartments. Um, Doesn't mean they weren't made out of a material that rotted. Right, that's possible. Yeah, here it's very ziggurat-esque, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Definitely showing off. Yeah, it is a little showy, isn't it? Well, if this is a strangle point between here and, you know, the the ungodly lands nearby, then uh, you kind of yeah. want that show force and show of strength on, on both ends of it. Yeah, it's true. Don't even bother coming this way. Yeah. It's, it's definitely sending a message to the Rudarns. Yeah. Yeah, the Rudarns would have been north. I mean, we know that we're right near... We're not. We're right near where all three of their kingdoms, Rudar mm-hmm. and Arthedain and Cardolan, all came together. Um, and here it is. The closed gate. 
Yeah. And Man, I've tried to find my way see. around there so many times in the early days. Yes, there you can just see <sighs> over the gate the horizon. Soon. The horizon oh. beyond which no one let has in, ever let seen. Let me in! Because they have Yes, this is this is the point that we are looking forward to. Hopefully yeah. next week. Next week we shall return and we shall ride through these gates and see because and here's what I'm really excited about. Hmm. Apart from this ruin which is both I agree with you showy and decorative, but also um highly defensible with a couple different layers of defense here. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, and again, looking back up not too far away, can't quite see it from here. I can just see the top of it. The castle over there in the Barrow Downs themselves, where we are told in Appendix A, the people of Cardolan made their final stand. Mm. We see very little that we know of Cardolan. The ruins yeah. here look very like Esteldine, right? Yes. You can tell the difference between Arthedanian and Rudauran ruins every time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you've got the forest crown, which is the crown of which is the, the symbol of Rudaur. Um but the difference between I assume this must be a Cardolangian ruin here, but there's nothing really to set it apart from yeah. the Arthodyne ones. Only geography. Yeah, exactly. So I believe that when we can ride south of here, we should be seeing more Cardolan stuff than really we've ever seen before. And so going into a land which is just like where the people of Cardolan used to live is going to be interesting. I'm going to be interesting to see. I'm going to be interested to see how much of the uh, uh, how much of the uh, the Arnorian stuff, the Cardolan stuff, remains. Um, <laughs> where was Gondor when Cardolan fell? Good question, Nancy. Good question. Um, <laughs> And Arnold, yes, we should see if they redo this ruin. This is one of the reasons why I was excited to come down here tonight. Um, because that will enable us next week to do a very proximate before and after comparison. Mm -hmm. If we get anything new or different about this uh, this ruin as we come through. So, all right. So we're going to leave it here tonight. Um, having reminded ourselves about the southern landscape of Bree, the approach to this point, and um, the to this point, frustrating gate that we've never been able to go through. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, we will see. We will see what things end up looking like when they release the expansion next week. Um, and this is so exciting. I know so many of us. I, know. I started my first character in Bree. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know I started, you know, Wigand, my human guardian, was my first character ever. 
and uh, so he was based here in Bree. So I did the whole Bree quest line and everything, and I remember coming down here. And so it's, I think I tried to go south of here before I crossed any other boundary, like oh, before yeah, I'd too. gone to the Lone Lands or the Shire. Uh, I or, kept seeing what else I had to kill or unlock or whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I remember coming here and being like, oh, it's too bad I can't go this way, not realizing that it was going to be like 10 years and I would still never be able to go this way. Um, <laughs> so, yes, this is a uh, this is a, a poignant moment uh, that we're finally yeah. going to be able to fulfill this, uh, you know, uh, dream of my entire Lotro life. So uh, anyhow, going to be exciting. All right. Yeah. Um, Thanks everybody for let's do let's do one more let's do one more drawing before we leave another Lotro drawing. Oh, what I guess. All right, let's see. Here we go. And all right, okay, this one has a, a smaller number. Won't take me so long to count. Okay, and the winner is Cronith, C R O N I T H. Cronith, you are the winner. Um, so you will get the uh, the Lotro pack that we. Um, uh, that we are giving away the expansion pack plus a bunch of other goodies. Send your email to info at signumu.org and we will get you your redemption code. Congratulations, oh, nice. Cronith. Huzzah! Very good. All right. Thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you guys next week for the journey south of the gate. So very exciting. Thanks everybody. Have a good night now. Bye. Bye.